of socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome to episode 39 of You Don't Have to Yell. It's the bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here on your number one source for unfounded home remedies for the coronavirus now that White House press briefings are apparently a thing of the past. Now, being the last week of the month, I thought it fitting to invite the data monkey back to discuss this month in numbers. And when we were planning the episode, I thought negative $37 a barrel oil was the weirdest thing on the agenda. And then a White House briefing happened, which may or may not have contained a recommendation for ingesting bleach, something the data monkey and I will actually debate during this episode, along with a few other items of contention around a president who is nearly impossible not to argue about. Now, there's a conclusion at the end that's going to determine the direction of this show going forward, and as always... I'm going to let it sit at the end like a prize in the bottom of the cereal box and you're just going to have to eat your way through. Or you're going to be a big fat cheater and take the bag out and then reach your hand in and get the cereal all grubby for everybody else. You know, that's your thing. Go for it. At any rate, I'll be back at the end to explain further. I was going through the, the outline I had from our conversation earlier this week. For those listening... You know, typically Mike and I will connect usually a few days at least, or maybe a week before, just to kind of sketch out what we're going to talk about. And I thought the outline we had was pretty weird before the president suggested that people inject themselves with disinfectant. He really doesn't make it very easy for me to plan these things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that because I, 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 we had, we were going to touch on hydroxychloroquine as, mm-hmm. and when we'll, and we'll, we can talk about why. So listeners understand why I'm obsessed with this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not for the reasons they might think. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I wrote down when I was sketching on my pad, like, uh, you know, the things we talked about. I, I added next to this drinking bleach. Uh, yeah. so we could touch okay. on that as well. Um, because I think, you know, what we were trying to get at with this topic is, you know, why does everything become politicized is including stuff that has no business being politicized. And, and I, and that was my, uh, and this is why I think we were going to talk a little bit about, you know, the obscure, lupus and uh, malaria treatments of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, how they entered the, uh, the national conversation. Yeah. So let's get to that. The first, the weirdest thing on the news in the news prior to that was that we had negative $37 a barrel oil. And I had cooked up a little scheme where I was going to, buy negative 78 million worth of oil and then just rent a tanker for, for uh, rent a tanker for 40,000 a day until the price went up. But then you inform me that that little scheme was not possible, correct? Well, I mean, in theory it's possible, but not to secure it in the time that you would have needed to take advantage of that. Like I personally could not have orchestrated that deal. No. Okay. Okay. What would I need ahead of time to be able to have orchestrated that? Um, Well, you have to know how to access storage and get it Mm -hmm. uh, and get it actually, um, you know, contracted, uh, Mm -hmm. which would have been very difficult to do in a very short period of time when this actually Mm -hmm. sort of took place. Let's back up because what you saw was, the w- WTI, which is the sort of West Texas Intermediate crude, which is what mm-hmm. went negative. And that's because that, that is the most like liquid and traded futures contract on for the oil in the mm-hmm. US, right? So in that market, you end up with that has a very specific um, 
you know, that has very specific parameters attached to those contracts. They're standardized because they trade, you know, on a, on a commodities exchange. So they have to be very standardized. And that contract has a specific time and, uh, and location of delivery, right? So they do these on like a monthly contract expiry. And so the, what you happens is you have like a, the front month comes into its last day of trading and all these contracts generally um, have to uh, be closed out because very little actual physical uh, trading of oil happens around that contract expiration. But in theory, mm-hmm. it would. So, so the contracts are written that effectively you, you have to be ready to take delivery at, um, with, at a place called Cushing, which is the uh, Oklahoma where... Um, there is the sort of the main delivery point that they use for these contracts. Mm-hmm. So you would have to be ready to take uh, delivery on that at that, at that time, the contract expert time at that point. Right. So mm-hmm. only 14% of the actual storage capacity of the U S is at Cushing. So there's only like something like 85 to 90 or million barrels yeah. of storage capacity. No one really knows exactly because they never top these things out entirely. So it's very hard to know what the total capacity really is. But it's estimated around something like 90, 90 million barrels of storage capacity. And that's versus like the total US storage capacity is estimated at like 650 million barrels or something. Okay. Right. So, you, so you're only talking about like, you know, 10 to 15% of the total storage capacity is at this point. Mm-hmm. But you would need to be ready to deliver it on that date and time. So, mm-hmm. so even if you were to be able to find some random storage off in, you know, uh, another place, because this is, you know, once you start, especially once you get start to get very filled on storage, like we start, you know, every closet that could possibly hold a barrel of oil has got it in it, right? So you start having to track down where there would actually be excess available capacity. Yeah. To you know store. what just, Sorry, go ahead. No, you know what image is going through my head right now is do you remember the I Love Lucy episode where Lucy and Ethel are working at the chocolate factory? Yes. And the boxes keep coming out and they can't yes. like they can't put the candy in the boxes fast enough, so they start eating it and shoving it in their shirts. You got it. Is that kind of like what's going on here? Yes, yes. With and oil. The, and the shirt okay. you're stuffing it in globally is what they call floating storage. So okay. floating storage is the is when we just start renting tanker ships that normally carry it and we yeah. just park it. So okay. right, we've estimated now there's something like, I mean, the, the articles, uh, you know, it's never exactly clear um, exactly who's just parking oil and who's moving it. So yeah. there's an estimate of how much is actually in floating. But the store, I mean, you know, as of even just a few weeks ago, or actually just a few days ago, I guess, the, 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 ex, the estimate I saw from Reuters was that there's about, you know, maybe a hundred and... 60 million barrels of crude sitting in floating storage that's not that's above and beyond just like the the storage on land right so yeah um, and then put this in context we use the 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 world uses like 100 million barrels a day normally right that's about like that's what the normal amount would be so daily but that's not uh but right now the problem is that 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 number's collapsed by you know, we're not entirely sure, but it could be any as much as sort of 20, 30% that it's down. Yeah. So somebody, somebody got rich using my plan. Oh yeah. Some people will make money. And and the flip side of that is other people will get absolutely laid out. So like the problem, um, and you've already heard some people, um, there were some talk of different institutions that like, Mm -hmm. you know, losing money on this because, um, so what, because they had to force to close out a contract like that. So they, they had, so what, going back to my point is that, you know, it's, I think the number is 20 times or something. The actual mm-hmm. physical volume of oil, um, that trades is the, is, is traded on just paper, right? So people just taking positions in oil price, and then they have to close those out by that time, or they will have to take delivery or in yeah. effect, right? So, so you must close it out. So as we get closer to the expiration date of each of these contracts, what they end up talking about is like a front month roll. So the contract mm-hmm. rolls from like the new, like when the April contract expires, 
the, the front month or the new one month contract becomes the May contract, right? So mm-hmm. when that contract rolls over, everybody has to sort of clean up and, and cash out, right? Mm-hmm. So on that front month contract. And the problem is if you're, if you're really upside down in terms of the number of people long versus sort of the number of people mm-hmm. short those contracts, and you don't have either you don't have oil to deliver or you don't have storage capacity to take it, you, you must close that out at whatever price you can close it out at. And the yeah. problem is there was such an imbalance going into the, the close that it ended up showing up as a negative number briefly. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't have the data monkey around on a regular basis to explain things to them like this, basically the deal is, is that in any commodity, you know, oil, gold, uh, pork bellies, grain, oranges, whatever, they have, they sell contracts and effectively a contract is an agreement to buy that said commodity at a given price. And what that does for the producers is it ensures there is going to be a buyer for them at a given price once they get that thing out of the ground, whatever it is. And so uh, in this specific case, uh, a bunch of oil producers had, or a bunch of uh, folks had contracts out to buy oil at a given price. Uh, so the the relationship between the supply of oil and places to put it was vastly out of whack. And so the people who would have to have taken receipt of the oil, the people who had agreed to buy oil at a certain price, had nowhere to put it. And so nobody wanted to buy their contract. Is that more or less you it? Basically, you got it. You got it. Okay. And the signal, it's interesting because you hear people sort of respond. It's like, well, that means we must need more storage. You're like, hell no. What we needed mm-hmm. is people to not produce. So that pricing signal is just telling people who have existing wells to turn them off. Like yeah. there's, there's drilling a well, completing a well, and then there's actually continuing to have that well produce. And in some cases, you, you've seen those big, um, you know, the big sort of jackhammer things that you'll see in movies, like when people mm-hmm. go out by an oil field. That's called artificial lift. And that is the stuff they use to actually continue old wells like producing. They're actually adding like some pressure into it. So they're pulling some more out, right? Yeah. Shut that off. <laughs> yeah. Shut it off. <laughs> like, so that's that's what's uh that's what the signal from the market is basically saying. It's not that we need more storage, it's to shut off the existing production because it's mm-hmm. it's absurd. And so what's you know, what'll it'll force companies to do when you get a price signal this bad is that they will start shutting this stuff off. And the reason why it takes it takes something as extreme as a zero or even negative price is because the marginal cost, as you can imagine, of a will already drilled, mm-hmm. like and you're just maybe even applying artificial lift. You know, you don't in those pictures of the 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 artificial lift uh, jackhammer, they're going up and down. You don't see a lot of people around that thing, right? It's just yeah. kind of going. It's just doing its yeah. thing. So the uh, the incremental marginal cost of running this stuff and producing is pennies, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you get such an extreme price signal because it's telling every producer to basically like shut that shit off. We have yeah. to we stop producing. We are way. I mean, you can see because we've never had like a, a demand like uh, such a short term demand destruction of this size. Mm-hmm. And they, you, I mean, you can start doing the math when I say this, like. You, you just say, all right, the, the, I mean, again, nobody knows entirely what global storage capacity is, but some of the more respectable you know, data services out there would say there's something like a billion, you know, a billion two total barrels of global oil storage capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to audit that number to know how much is onshore versus floating or whatever. But let's just say that number's right, okay? I mean, if the, the world normally, you know, if you go back to sort of the, the economy of um, three months ago, we were using yeah. sort of hundred million barrels a day. And mm-hmm. in literally less than three months, we've cracked that. And that's hundred million barrels a day. So stop and think about that. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, you know, you're talking about like 36, 37 billion barrel per year. I love demand. that you said the economy of three months ago. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's what this whole, that's what the last, that's what this whole, like the last few years have been like. It's like, it, I, I know I'm, I keep going back in the, in the, in the database for references, but do you remember the movie troll? Oh yeah. Like the, Oh, the old one, not old the one, one my daughter watches the old one, No, the old one, <laughs> not trolls. There's actually an old movie like 1980s. It's about, 
I don't even the remember. Shitty what, horror movie, yeah. It was terrible, but it was about this kid moves into an apartment building. I guess he befriends a troll. I'm not going to do the synopsis properly, and I wouldn't advise anybody watch the movie to. It's get not worth the revisiting record. to get this. We'll just, but, let's but, just assume it's correct. Exactly. But yeah. basically, what happens kid befriends a troll, a whole bunch of weird shit starts happening in the apartment building. Like, you know, uh, fairies start, like, you know, flocking around sinks and like ivies growing over everything. And, you know, just the whole place kind of transforms. And it just gets weirder and weirder as time goes on. And that's what, like, this whole whole era has been like yeah you know it gets weirder by the day it's one more bizarre thing after the other and i guess like too you know i know one of the things we had noted on the uh on the outline prior to the whole drinking bleach thing was the whole um hydroxychloroquine did I pronounce that correctly? Hydroxychloroquine. To the best uh, of my knowledge, yes. Okay. You have, uh, you have so, pronounced that correctly. So Trump goes, makes a sort of, st- makes a claim about the benefits of hydroxychloroquine. Everybody gets upset about it. Everybody says he's irresponsible. Everybody says he owns a stake in it. What's the, first off, why is he saying it? And secondly, it seems like this whole owns a stake thing is kind of blown out of proportion. So I think, yeah, this is this is good because you and I talked about this offline. It's important we talk about this, I think, on the actual podcasts because yeah. we should we should as a topic. I think we need to address it. I think you and I are in agreement that generally we see signs that both sides of the political spectrum have lost their fucking minds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like lost their minds. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's just because like the worst 5% of each side seem to be in charge. Yeah. Uh, that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every single thing becomes not only politicized, but insanely exaggerated and spun. And my current mm-hmm. pet peeve aside from, which is related to this is the inability for anybody to read beyond like a headline, mm-hmm. uh, a spun headline or and, or the first paragraph of a, of a news report. Like mm-hmm. you didn't go beyond, like get to the third or fourth paragraph. Like my tip for anyone would be like, when you see a headline, don't even bother leading, reading the lead paragraph. Jump to like the fourth paragraph yes. and find the actual factual information driving the headline. <laughs> like, or, yeah. Because more often than not, it has it almost, it's been wildly overstated what's actually in the headline. And that's his advice to anybody. Like, I'm not talking about this is not for uh, pro-Trump or anti-Trump. I just, just in general, that's just a good thing to do. Go look at the data in the actual article. Like, what was the factual information that drove the interpretation for the headline? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think, I think too, the other thing is, like, folks need to click on the source of a lot of these articles. Because generally, like, my rule of thumb is that if the headline looks like it's designed to make you angry, then, like, source the shit out of that thing. Yeah, like, it, that's, a, that's another good way of putting it. Yeah, because cause ultimately, like, and you see this especially on the more, like, fringe sites, like Breitbart and, you know, you could even potentially... I, I wouldn't lump Mother Jones in there, but there are definitely some on the left, like, addicting info. I don't even know if they're still around anymore or not, but... um you know, effectively what they do is they put out these sensational headlines. It's designed to get you mad. Most folks don't read it because like if you actually read or, or were actually interested in like understanding the issue, you wouldn't be reading a site called addicting info to begin with. And, uh, and, and then, you know, everybody just gets more agitated. Um, and I think you see this with, you know, the, the whole argument about Trump, sort of corrupt being corrupted by his stake in, in Sanofi is it's just ludicrous because everybody owns a stake in Sanofi pretty much. Right. Like if you have, no, not to mention, and we talked about this, like, I mean, so hydroxychloroquine or Plaquenil, this is like the brand name. I mean, yeah. this has like been around for, I mean, I think you can, you can just wiki this. It, I mean, I, I know it's been around since the fifties. It's been used to treat things since like the 1950s. It's, I think it's, go, its origins go back further than that. It's been around since the 1930s. Um, I, I'd advise anyone to just look at the 
price to earnings multiple of any generic manufacturer to tell you, like, will tell you a lot about the profitability of making generic drugs. Um, mm -hmm. th this is a, just a widely available generic drug. Even, uh, even though the government was buying like 30 million doses of this stuff to stockpile it, right? It, it's, it's going to be a blip, if anything, and not enough to even make like a penny of earnings. For yeah. these companies. Well, so, so the idea that it's, it's like nefarious financial greed driving it is really stupid. It's more just, I think it's just idiocy and a need to like, uh, an insane need to prop up a claim that he made sort of off the cuff. Like, well, that's, <laughs> that's it. And now nobody's accusing him of having like steak and Clorox after this latest no. uh, announcement. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think he just kind of, yeah, like you said, I think he just is speaking off the cuff and saying some stuff presidents probably shouldn't say because people listen to presidents, believe it or not. And, uh, and, and, um, yeah, and I, and I, I, I think the, it seems like the whole conspiracy theory is a bit, a uh, bit off. Well, it's just, it's yeah. sort of, the, I mean, when in, it just seems to me like the most obvious answers are usually the right ones. And we've yeah. seen time and time again, like, someone in his orbit mentions something or shows him something and then he just like coughs it up in a in a briefing like because mm -hmm. he's just i mean he's i mean how much how much content can you put together i mean the guy's doing daily briefings right how much content can you possibly put together to do a daily briefing so he's just up there riffing like yeah and then but what i think is fascinating and this is more the importance of the why we were touching on this topic mm -hmm. is the this lining up that whatever he said must be right or must be wrong mm -hmm. along your mm -hmm. political spectrum. Oh yeah. Not just like, Oh, he says some, a lot of stupid shit. So maybe that's, maybe that's right. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? I'll wait for some actual data versus yeah. like if the, if he said it, it must be right. Or if he said it, it must be wrong. It's like, it has to be a panacea or it has to be poison. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and and I I think that that's uh, you know and you see that across everything I think I think the interesting thing about what's going on now is the fact that we literally have a way to more or less within three to four weeks determine if everything being said about COVID nineteen is correct or incorrect. You know, it's not like climate change where we have to wait thirty years to figure out who's right. Like right. four weeks. And even with the reopening of the states, you know, again, you would think that the whole idea of of either of listening to doctors would be a nonpartisan issue, but yet it is. Yeah. And not only that, it's partisan depending on which day of the week it is. Because one day we may be looking to liberate Michigan, the next day we may decide opening Georgia is a bad idea. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's fine. Like, you, you know, it's only crazy people who don't change their opinion when confronted with new data. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I, I do think, look, I do think that that, that it kind of strikes to the problem of today, which is, you know, COVID-19 for all it is, it's also a regional problem in the sense that it's going to impact Manhattan differently than upstate New York. It's going to impact Boston differently than rural Georgia. And I get why certain. I get why a state like Florida, a state like Georgia, a state like uh, Colorado, for example, might decide to ease restrictions on a municipal level rather than a statewide level. You know right. that makes sense. That makes sense to me. If you are in a rural environment where social distancing is just kind of like what you call it everyday life, um, it, it the the restrictions are kind of nonsensical. You know. Right. Um, whereas in Manhattan, again, where people are just on top of each other, the restrictions make more sense. And I think it's just, you know, to your point, people can't separate the data from the person and they can't separate the, their opinion of the person from how they interpret the data. Uh, no, I, and, or, and they don't even bother to really try, yeah. right? They just, yeah. this is what I think is sort of insane is that we just kind of end up, you know, like grabbing whatever talking point we hear to bolster a pre like our preconceived uh position on it yeah you know and it's like 
and, and, and let's let's try to make sure I don't just like I don't just do this um, imply that this is just like right wing Trump supporters because I actually yeah. I see it on both sides of this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, again, it's not just the, the defense of it, but also the attack of it. Like it, you know, it'll kill you. It causes heart rhythm problems. It's don't oh my god, don't take hydrochloroquine. It'll it will kill you instantaneously. Like this is insane that he would even like float this idea. And you're like, well, okay. It's insane that he would float the idea for a different sets of reasons. One, mm-hmm. he's not a doctor. He shouldn't be out like on his, you know, Twitter feed, um, yeah. advising people to, or suggesting that people take anything like wh- whatever. Right? That, that's just, that, that's just fact. I don't, I don't care. Like I don't care who the president is. They shouldn't be out advising people on medical things, especially yeah. on social media, but, but maybe that's my opinion, but okay. I just, uh, that's, I think it's sort of insane for that reason. Yes, hydroclor- uh, hydroxychloroquine has uh, side effects. Sure, and and one of those is like heart arrhythmias and, and that's like, but this is also widely taken by people who um, have lupus, like because this is uh, so. If you have, so what's happened is then you saw a spike in prescriptions for this uh, mm-hmm. around. I don't know that that's entirely has to do with Trump. That could be also just doctors acting independently because they're allowed mm-hmm. to do that based on the data that they've seen, right? Which some of the similar data that, that Trump was sort of referring to or had, had heard of, I doubt he was reading papers on it. As you saw the spike in it, which was then causing a bit of like a shortage of this available yeah. for people who take it for other reasons, right? For yeah. like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and things. So now you have like, so, I mean, that that's going to happen. So it'll, the market will respond. They'll make more of it because it's a generic. So there'll be plenty of it available eventually. But, um, but I think coming back to the, the point that like, I don't know that that was necessarily Trump driving it, but this was, but he definitely amplified it. And, and so therefore, you know, you saw more of this, this use. As always, I hope you're enjoying the show. And also as always, like the deadbeat uncle who keeps coming for money, I have a favor to ask. Now, the dysfunction we see in government is not the result of two ideologically opposed factions recommending different platforms, but of two parties that know they just need us to get to fight with each other to retain power. And the only way to fix it is for people like you and me to demand more from the people we put in office than being the lesser of two evils. Now, I've got some plans that I'm going to be discussing at the end of the show, but right now, I need you to help me get the word out, and there are a couple of ways you can. Number one, as always, is to click share right now, like right, right now, and share you don't have to yell with friends, family, and any sundry randos you have lurking around your online networks. Number two, follow YDHTY on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube by searching You Don't Have to Yell. We're going to be putting out bonus content in the coming months that you are not going to want to miss. So please check it out. And with that out of the way, back to the data monkey. I think the big disconnect is, you know, the people who support Trump ultimately made their choice as to whether they took everything he said at face value a long time ago. And they've got their own sort of calculus as to why Trump is a good president. Trump sort of harkens back to this old image of America that they knew. Uh, In other cases, it's some people just like the theater. Some people just like him because he sticks his thumb in the eye of the establishment and, and they're feeling left out of it all, you know? And, um, and on the flip side, which is, you know, my side currently, you know, I see a guy kind of postulating as to whether it makes sense to inject yourself with bleach, you know? And, uh, and so I, I, I think it's, if, I, I think that that's just the environment we're in. And so if you want to sit and kind of talk about, you know, the latest crazy thing he said, which I think is pretty much what every media outlet except for Fox does, you know, um, then that's all that, then that's all the, you know, if, if, if you're going to dedicate your coverage to every dumb thing he says, that's going to be the 24-hour news cycle. And it's also going to be, uh, it's also not going to make a bit of difference 
Yeah. All it's going to do is it's going to convince the people who are convinced he's dangerous and incompetent that he's dangerous and incompetent. It's going to convince the people who are on his side that the media is against them. And it's going to allow these dumb things to control the news cycle rather than maybe some stuff that might be more relevant to our, our day-to-day lives. Um, and, and I think, I think the, the problem for, as I see it is, you know, folks are voting with their amygdala, you know, yeah. folks, folks are voting fight or flight and folks, political opinions are determined fight or flight. And you can't say the word like gun control, for example, or you can't say the word AR, 15 without folks instantly getting to their battle stations and getting ready with all the stuff they've been pumped up with to validate their side when you haven't even said what your opinion is yet, you know? Right. Um, and I think that the, I think the, the main issue in, in my mind, and you know, I know like this is going way back to, September now when we looked at kind of the two party system and how it's structured is that, you know, when you have a system where you can only vote or where you have a system like ours, where all you need to do to win office is get one more vote than the second most popular candidate, then people will naturally choose one of the two parties most likely to win. It's actually, it's a, it's called Duverger's law. Political yep. scientists know all about it. And people effectively, when in a first past the post system like ours, uh, which again means you win 51%, you win all of the vote, you know, you win the seat. Um, people will choose between one major party or the other. And third parties will always be throwing your vote away. And, and you see this in, Generally, if you look globally, you look at first past the post systems, they all tend to result in this like polemic, yep. uh, hyper partisan, you know, very, uh, you know, uh, situation. Like, you know, Brexit's a great example. Right. You know, Bre- Brexit was a first past the post referendum. It yep. won by a, a razor thin margin. Yep. And both sides are equally intractable today as to whether that was the right or the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know? No, that's and right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in my mind, you know, when I look at how do we, you know, how do we ultimately not necessarily solve a, any specific issue, but how do we just make sure that, the mechanism of democracy is working as it should, you know, how do we make sure that the, that the, that the representative democracy we have is truly reflecting the weak, the will of the people. Um, I, I think the, the first thing we ought to address is the fact that we have two parties that only really need to make you afraid of the other. Right to do their job that's no and you, and you can see it and I, I think what's amazing is you see it with this that the uh consuming bleach thing because mm-hmm. so he did not actually say that he did not i've gone back i listened to it i was trying to understand exactly tell what me about was it said. tell me about this yeah he was it's, it's not what he said. Now, I happen to, again, this is my opinion, and I'm definitely mm-hmm. firmly in the view of it, you know, the Scott Adams view of that we all watch the same movie and come to different conclusions um, yeah. in a hyper politicized world. So mm-hmm. um, let's, uh, let's just say that, you know, again, this is obviously just my opinion, but I say that as someone who really, really does try to not take a uh, immediate um, reactionary position on, on anything. Um, I mm-hmm. try to try to gather news articles. I try to gather sources from, you know, I, I go out of my way to try to see what Fox news says and, you know, MSNBC says, so mm-hmm. I can try to merge the two and figure out what we're all <laughs> referencing. Right. Which is, mm-hmm. I'd advise anyone who actually wants to sort of maybe try to understand what's really happening uh, and not just play, not just be a victim of the game of persuasion that's going on here. I will say Trump was, sort of strangely riffing on a couple of things, right? The, the, it seemed to me that the science was be, was, that was being discussed was that sunlight seems to kill the virus mm-hmm. and detergents seem to kill the virus, right? Mm-hmm. In, in 
so therefore he was sort of riffing on one, is there a way to intravenously get this stuff into the, the body to, um, to rid, rid it of the virus, right? In the first yeah. case, it would be sort of IV, quote, sunlight, right? Which is actually not totally bananas. Like you could imagine through like fiber optic scopes and things, you could actually go in and sort of do artificial sort of light therapies on things to try to kill mm-hmm. off virus that's in a um in your lungs or something right that's it's not that's not insane um mm-hmm. it's it's certainly feasible i don't know i'm not up on the current science on that or how mm-hmm. good or effective it would be but it's not totally weird similar kind of point on the detergents the weirder right like i don't i don't i mean i don't my interpretation of what he was saying was that you know there he's just riff like openly brainstorming of like is there a way t- for like a medical professional <laughs> to yeah. apply a some kind of washing of like you know your lungs or something to get rid of it like now it may be stupid i kind of probably think it is maybe yeah. there's stuff out there that that's been discussed i don't know i really have no idea um but i certainly didn't hear anyone saying you should inject yourself or or consume detergents in order yeah. to uh, in order to get rid of uh, the coronavirus, but the next day, every single person and many of my acquaintances and friends who are on social media and things are like, "Oh, I've seen it all." He's now telling the, the country to drink bleach, and I'm like, hey, "Oh no, I didn't hear that. I don't know why, but you heard it, and now we're just kind of now it's fun to just amplify that and to make memes about it." And, and so the game of persuasion continues. It's do not. Do you think he just like? Do you think he just sort of freestyles, and he's just got such an insane level of confidence that he doesn't really second guess the ideas popping into his head, and so he just throws stuff out, and it doesn't mean he's going to execute on them, but it just means he's kind of just throwing I, out some I ideas. I can't read minds, so I don't know what he's thinking, but it seems to me from observation that whatever just happened to be in his orbit near time, he just coughs it up because he's filling so much airtime. It's not like he's plotting out all, all, everything he's saying. It's just kind of, I mean, he's fill. I mean, just do the math on how much airtime he has to fill. It certainly doesn't sound like he's like, he's like planning this. Yeah. And it's just, he's not, I mean, they're daily trying to script a, they're scripting a show daily. You know how hard that is to do? I mean, you you and I have a hard time getting just like, you know, one episode together in a month. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, and they're like doing these daily briefings. And no one said he had to do daily briefings, but he's doing daily mm-hmm. briefings. And there's not yeah. enough new information day to day for really there to be that much to talk about. So he's just filling up a ton of space, which means he's just going to sort of say things or ask questions or pose them. And he's not necessarily a expert on any of these topics. So he's just sort of asking questions of or or interpreting and misinterpreting things he's hearing from other people who are maybe more knowledgeable on it. So I don't think I'm saying anything really controversial. I think this just seems to be the reality of it. But the problem is that what I I find more fascinating about it, you know, is this, this immediate and intransient lining up around it. If he's just brainstorming and riffing out loud, why are we either taking it as like it has to be true or it can't be true? And I go back to sort of the timeline of this hydroxychloroquine, not to, you know, the only reason we're sort of talking about this because it's, I think it's an interesting insight into how this is, like how this, this, these sort of mental traps are falling, right? Like Mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, we go back to sort of March and there's a French scientist who has a paper out there with this claim that they treated, you know, 80 patients that they, they gave them hydroxychloroquine and, and azithromycin, which is like, you know, a Z-pack, like the antibiotic that you would normally take. Now, an antibiotic would do nothing on a virus, from my understanding, but it's more about keeping uh, opportunistic bacterial infections from happening while you're also simultaneously fighting the virus, which, would, which my, again, I know very little about this stuff, but, my, but based on the stuff that they're treating with hydroxychloroquine, like... Um, you know, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, it would, it would seem to be an immunosuppressant of some kind. So mm-hmm. it's kind of this idea that, you know, your body is almost, the body itself is kind of killing you in, in some stages of coronavirus because of COVID-19, because you've got, you've got, uh, the, almost you're, um, you're mounting almost an inappropriate response 
with your um, from your immune system, and so you're almost shutting it, sh- turning tearing it down back to sort of a normal you know uh, volume. But that then leaves you open to um, sort of other potential uh, infections like a bacteri- bacterial pneumonia or something, right? So yeah. you take the ZPAC. So that's a, that's a perfectly good theory um, of why it might work. Uh, there's nothing totally insane about that, I would think, at least from what I'm, I'm hearing. Um, yeah. And so it comes back to this paper that was sort of published that they treated 80 patients. And, 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 almost, and in some ways, I think it was almost should have been immediately suspect just because the success rate was so high, right? Like they traded like 80 and he's like, they had 79 of them are fully cured. You know, there's like, we don't see that in many trials very often. Right. Like, um, so you should already be sort of scratching your head, whether that's legit. But the other important point is there was no control group. So they basically just treated patients and then they said, this came out with this data. So Hmm. the most important thing about any, of these type of scientific things is that one, you'd rather see a control group if you can get one. It's a little bit questionable as to how you do that with something like this, because that can be unethical to sort of be not treating. So like you can't be giving placebos to people if they're, you think something's going to be like, if they're potentially in a life-threatening condition and you might, you know, you're, you're, now you're just giving them, you know, nothing versus giving them something. Right. Um, so most of these are going to be against sort of any other standard of therapy. So it's hard to, it, it makes it harder to untangle what the outcome would be. Yeah. But, but more importantly, so to come back to this, that's that to my understanding is the germ of what started this, right? So someone in his orbit talked about this miraculous sort of level of, of, uh, you know, uh, um, treatment outcome. Mm-hmm. And so then it comes out in a, uh, in this press, in a, in a, in a press briefing and we start talking about it. And now immediately everybody's sort of lining up to be like, we're, we're waiting on the results of hydroxychloroquine. Everyone should get it. We should be giving it to everyone. We should put it in your orange juice in the morning because it's going to be, it's the greatest thing ever. Meanwhile, the data that comes in from every, like no one's reproduced this, this type of result in any mm-hmm. of the other studies that they've come in. Some of them have actually been shut down early due to like heart rhythm problems again. Though the Brazilian study was actually chloroquine, which is antimalarial, not hydroxychloroquine, which is what, um, you know, for lupus or RA. Mm-hmm. So it's not totally, but you, you just haven't reproduced anything close to these results. And then what I think is interesting, and I don't mean to get totally in the weeds on this, but the only thing I found fascinating about it was then there was like a, a VA study that came out where they treated like, you know, 368 people with a chunk of them, like, you know, a chunk of them getting hydroxychloroquine, a chunk of them getting hydroxychloroquine in and azithromycin and a chunk of them uh, not receiving any of these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the closest thing to a controlled trial you're going to have. It's not, there's no actual control group. There's no, like there's people are going to argue over whether the size of that thing, I mean, all kinds of questions about it, but actually it showed like it was actually had a negative effect. Like so you have like 27% of patients dying overtaking this, versus 11% who weren't, right? So that would actually be like alarming, like, oh my God, don't do that. Now, I don't think that the study necessarily proves out that it's bad or good. It just, it's just, it's another question mark. And so immediately it's like, oh, when that study came out, you know, I saw it out on Twitter or I saw it out on, you know, social media and people are saying, well, this kind of puts a bullet in the, in the hydroxychloroquine story. And like, people are just responding like, like, well, the study was, it didn't have this. It didn't have that. It was, they're, they're all in the weeds on the study. And I'm thinking to myself, the only reason you care is because Trump referenced a study indirectly from like a month and a half ago that was a shitty trial to begin with. So why are you, why, like, why are we so anchored to this result that was like a bad study? Like it's, if you weren't reading, (laughs) yeah. If you weren't reading medical journals prior to the statement, don't start today. Yeah. Dan, you always have a, you have such a good way of always summing up, uh, you know, in a much more, uh, (laughs) clear way of what I'm trying to get. That's well, that's it. It's like, it's, it's, it's like people, and I've seen this happen. And again, you're right. It is on partisan lines. I've seen this happen where first off, people always say, oh, I've been looking at the data. Never said I'm guilty of it too, because I'm all the time I'm in stuff I'm not supposed to 
I'm not an expert in, but that well, being yeah, said, but, but that's if anything, if I have any skill set, that's the skill set, right? Is I can cram and get a B. Yes, but I I think like I think that yeah, that's it. And I think that what you have is there are a lot of people in an agitated state, just looking to stay agitated, and and we're designed for it. It's not a it's not a partisan issue in Germany. It's not a partisan issue in France. It's not partisan in Italy. It's even, it's kind of partisan in Brazil. I've been kind of keeping an eye on things there, but that's just because their president says ridiculously dumb shit. Well, man, that's actually a good point too, because I'll, yeah. uh, that's, the, that's a good way to sort of wrap up the conversation. Because the yeah. punchline here is yeah. Spain and Italy are the two countries where hydroxychloroquine has been the most prescribed. If it had a miraculous effect, we'd know. Yeah. My feeling on this whole on this whole thing. And I think it's something we've we've kind of touched on again and again and again and again and again and again and again is that our if you take a look, if you boil down both parties and kind of what they do in action, they're generally in a they're generally doing the same thing. You know, it's like Coke and Pepsi. They kind of taste a little different, but they're both pretty much the same and you shouldn't be having them anyway, you know? And, 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 I, and I feel like the, the reason we are in an agitated state is because the way you win elections in an environment like that, where there is no real differentiator, significant differentiator when it comes to the bread and butter issues of healthcare, education, and the economy, right? is you need to pick these issues that people just can't help but fight about. That is why elections typically are run and partisan identity is typically held in your views on guns, abortion, I would say now immigration. Well, now everything. Mm -hmm. You know, climate change, you know, yeah. hydroxychloroquine. This is, you know, Dan, it's, it's what, you know, I, I can tell you the, the, the only way I would like to make America great again. Here it is. Mm -hmm. I'd like to make it okay for people to just say, you know, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion on it. Wouldn't that be grand? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? As opposed I, to people just either go and like actually form an opinion that's not, mm -hmm. you know, directed to not not confirmation bias, not going out and picking yep. a bunch of information to support your position you already had, um, asking yourself why you have that position in the first place, but ask an honest question and go look for an answer, right? As opposed to just sort of lining up with, you know, a set of talking points that have been pre-canned for you from one mm -hmm. side or the other. Um, <laughs> like, or just don't have an opinion about it. That's perfectly okay. 100%. Hundred percent, and I think that I think the 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 thing that we find again and again is, I think, and both sides are very guilty of this. They build this straw man, where on the left you you have this image of this gun-toting, bigoted, anti-gay, you know, redneck out there that you know wants to teach us that we all like you know, wants to teach us that the earth is 5,000 years old. And then on the flip side, you know, on the, on the left, you have these Antifa mobs that want to suppress your religious freedom and take away your guns and yeah. make everybody answer the call to prayer five times a week a day, you know? And it's just, it's, that's like, that's what our dialogue is now. And so, like you said, like you can't not have an opinion. Which is just insane. I mean, it's yeah. just like you know, the idea that like you're taking some obscure drug, and mm -hmm. and it becomes like if if you don't you know if you don't think this is a a good drug, it's because you hate America and you don't mm -hmm. you know you hate the president, you don't support him. You're like, yeah, no, I just I just looked at the data and it's nothing supporting it. Being that excited about it, I I mean, it might help, maybe it, but yeah. I I you adjust your expectations to something more like it reduces hospital stays by one point two days, <laughs> like yeah. in people who've taken it, like that's a normal type of result for a uh, for not a like miraculous cure. Nothing's ever seems to be a miraculous cure. I um, yeah. The separate side of that is, you know, yuck, yuck, yuck. The president said to drink bleach. And I'm like, no, he fucking didn't. Stop. Like, what? That, 
Now, you literally now have a bunch of the country thinking that's what he said, and they didn't bother to actually try, or even when they went back and listened to the clip, they heard what they want to hear, which yeah. was that he somehow to, to drink bleach. Like, no, he yeah. didn't. No, <laughs> like, stop. Yeah. You know, I remember back when John Stewart was like, I remember he had like years ago, he was just, he went on like, uh, Crossfire or something. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and he it was, was like, Tucker Carlson and Bill Press were yeah. with him. I remember and this. he was yeah. just like, stop hurting America. Like, mm-hmm. why are you hurting America? And I think that's right. I, you know, yeah. not that I'm a, I'm going to say I've been a huge supporter of John Stewart. I think it's just the reality of that type of like hyper partisan opinionated mm-hmm. positions is that you're, it's not helpful. It's actually really no. bad. And it leaves you really open to manipulation. Uh, well, and Both that's sides. and that's where we are, and that's why you know, kind of getting back to the beginning of this, when I said you know the the response to the disease, the response to coronavirus should be regional. We don't need like you don't need to care about what people in Florida are doing if you don't live in Florida. You know, you don't need to care. Yeah. Right, George. I don't need like it's not your concern. Where do you live? Like, follow whatever the guidelines are there. If you live in Montana and there's nobody around you, you can leave your house. If you live in Manhattan and you have one million people within one square mile of you, it might be advised to stay indoors as yeah. much as and everywhere possible. Everywhere you go is, you know, a taxi cab or a subway car. Yeah. Yes, you might want to you might want to be mindful of that. Dude, people were carrying Clorox wipes around in Manhattan before this thing broke. Okay. Yeah. So they're very like germ aware. So I guess the bottom line is like, like you said, it's okay not to have an opinion over what somebody in a state you don't live in is doing. It's okay. Yeah. And that's the way this country was designed. You cannot yeah. manage. It's- and I, and I, and I think the problem is that we've over the last 20, 30 years, we've had a degradation of local media. Yep. So a lot of the local issues that really impact you aren't being covered. Yep. Um, Degradation of local politics as a result. Absolutely. You have 24-7 news cycle. So they always have to, they they have to give you a reason to have your eyes on them at all times. And then you have this two-party duopoly that generally has won elections by fear-mongering against the other side based on issues that, again, don't really impact people all that much in their day-to-day. And that those three have made this trifecta that has resulted in in where we are right now and in and kind of getting back to what i was saying earlier about some of those earlier episodes you know if you look at the countries that have the highest level of satisfaction with their governments and with their elections they are all proportional in terms of how they allocate um Hmm. members to parliament they are all so you go to germany 10 percent vote green five percent vote communist 50% vote for a centrist party 45 vote for another centrist party on and on um that's exactly how it, it it's broken down in parliament and when i look at this country you know i think what we're doing because of that because of that breakdown is we're looking for the federal government to do stuff it wasn't designed to do it was not designed to cater to these regional needs it was designed to govern when all states could agree on something Right. And that's that should be difficult to do. Yep. You know, it should be difficult. And I think and my personal opinion here is if you look state by state, it, you know, Congress on the whole, again, the House of Representatives on the whole, if you break down the popular vote to the allocation of Congress, it's on it's pretty much on the mark by about one percent. And that's cool. Right. Yep. But if you go state by state, it's a far different story. Um, there are. If you look at the difference between the popular vote in North Carolina, for example, versus the way their representatives are allocated, you know, you have 50-50 Democrat-Republican. It's 75% uh, Republican in terms of their congressional delegation. You go to Ohio, uh, again, it's something like, let's say, 60% Republican, 40% Democrats. They have 11 Republican representatives, one Democrat. And these are, these are gerrymandering states. Gerrymandering, right? yeah. yeah. My, uh, look, M- Massachusetts, where we live, 20% Republican. In 2018, 20, now, for those of you who don't live in Massachusetts, don't know Massachusetts, if you cast a Republican ballot, you might as well have not shown up to the election. 
Like there's just zero chance. Still with I've that twenty, <laughs> yeah, uh, same here. It's just like lighting it on fire. There's no real point. Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah, it's it's fun. It's like a protest but, vote. <laughs> but that's yeah, exactly. But yeah. but think about this, okay? So twenty percent voted Republican, knowing there was zero chance they were going to win. Right? We have nine representatives. All nine are Democrats. And so my my big my big takeaway from from all this is that we with gerrymandering with the first pass the post system we have again the way that because we do a disproportionate because we allocate representatives in a disproportionate fashion we basically create a situation where the partisans thrive because if you were in a gerrymandered district you are not going to run on a centrist platform you right. are going to run as far yep. to the fringe so you don't get uh, primaried and so what you end up with is a house of representatives that's filled with a bunch of people who are unlikely to compromise and unlikely to you know give an inch for the common good and so this is this is just a result of that and you know in my mind keep the senate the same keep the electoral college you know keep these systems in place that are designed to protect the smaller states or or less populous states but state by state fix the way we allocate members to congress you know make it proportional Open up the door for third parties. I bet you anything if I if you just changed the districting structure of Massachusetts and made it, you know, four districts instead of nine and allocated votes proportionately. So again, we got our 20% Republican delegation and our 80% Democrat or whatever it turns out to. Yep. I bet you anything, number one, we would nominate more moderate Republicans. We probably have more moderate Democrats going in there, and we may even have those third parties that everybody wants to see. And I think you could do that on a state by state level. You don't even need the federal government to get involved because they have no jurisdiction over no, it. No, anyway. and actually I would uh, you know we'd have to unpack this, but I suspect that the the current system of the federal allocation would work better if the state by state was done this way. 100% because you're not sending these lunatics into Congress and more importantly, it's there is a legitimate choice now. So now it's not just enough to take money from your donors and then just scare the shit out of your base into voting for you. You know, now you actually have to understand what the majority of people want and govern to that instead of coming with this platform that has effectively been written for you. And so we're going to explore that. Now, we learned way back at the beginning of this podcast in September that when you have a system like ours, where you only need one more vote than the second most popular candidate to win election, people are going to line up behind one of two major parties. It's a phenomenon known by political scientists as Duverger's Law. And in the case of the United States, we have two parties who win elections by pitting the most partisan factions against each other rather than competing for the true majority of voters in the center. Now, we've also learned that the folks who lean furthest from these extremes are the least likely to vote and generally have a negative view of the system as a whole. So we actually have a system that suppresses moderates. And I have no doubt that the divisiveness in this country is a direct result of our first-past-the-post system. And there is a simple fix. Keep the Electoral College the same. Keep the Senate the same. They're both designed to prevent what the Founding Fathers called the tyranny of the majority. The idea that a few populous regions would rule the entire nation. But the House of Representatives is designed to be a body that proportionally represents public opinion. So end the congressional district as we know it. Don't redistrict in a bipartisan fashion because that only means the parties are going to solidify their duopoly. Make the allocation of representatives proportional to their percentage of the popular vote and send people to Washington who represent the true partisan breakdown of their state. So, with that out of the way, we're going to go on a journey through November of this coming year. And YDHTY is going to be a platform for promoting electoral reform and creating a viable channel for third-party candidates to have their voices heard. And we already have a lineup of guests that is going to blow your socks off. Rodeo-riding libertarians from Texas, arch-conservatives from North Carolina, electoral reform activists, and we are kicking it off with Jenya Coulter of the U.S. Vote Foundation, otherwise known as Election Babe, on Twitter. 
Jenya works to improve the quality of our electoral system, both through the foundation and her work as a local supervisor of elections in her home state of Florida. She brings a lot of data, a lot of knowledge on how elections are run, and you're not going to want to miss it. Little teaser. There are parts of the country where ballots are transported by boat. I am not kidding. So I hope you'll join us. As always, follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Theme music courtesy of Fellertac. YDHTY is produced by the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally saying adios.